I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Gotta be feeling good about what Mike White's done today. On third and four, he'll look to throw. In zone, no! The 20, the 10, the 5, touchdown. Allen has time. Intercepted. Sauce Gardner's got it. Breaking away. Garrett Wilson. Wilson, a big play downfield. Wilson still going along the sideline. He's not going to go down. Allen tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning. 62 yards for the touchdown. Rodgers in trouble again, and he's sacked again by Quinn Williams. What a beast, number 95 for the Jets. Listen, thank you. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we are going to talk to our friend George Bremer, who covers the Colts and the NFL for CNHI Sports and the Herald Bulletin in Anderson, Indiana. He's been our man on the scene all week at the Combine. Now, I had said yesterday was the last day of the Combine. Technically, that's not true because there was some more stuff that went on, and we'll talk about that and a few other things. We're going to answer your questions, too. We'll see if we have time to do that today. If not, we'll spread it out into tomorrow's show. But either way, it's going to be a fun couple of days. There's some news going on around the league as well that we'll discuss. George, thanks so much for coming on, brother. Yeah, you know, I think – the thing for me is like yesterday is the end of the combine because it's the end of media availability. I mean, drills mm-hmm. obviously go another day, uh, but that's, you know, it's a long week here in Indy. Uh, and I think the teams get a lot of information that uh, really starts to not just set the draft, but, you know, I'm sure the wheels have been put in motion this week for free agency, for some upcoming trades, a uh, huge week in the NFL. Without a doubt. But before we get to any of the stuff that went down at the combine today, Let's first discuss the Jets-centric news, which is that Dwayne Brown is going to be back next season. He had one year left on his deal. He signed a two-year deal last year. You remember the Jets went and grabbed him after Mekhi Becton got hurt and they needed that injury replacement. He came back in October after being on injured reserve, played hurt the rest of the year. The coaching staff was hoping he would come back. He is going to be back. So the Jets are in a strange situation now, George, because they have three offensive tackles under contract. Makai Becton, who hasn't played in two years for all intents and purposes, he played the first game two years ago, and then that was it. Last year, he tried to come back, got hurt again. So looks like he's in great shape based on the pictures he's been posting and reports, but he hasn't played for the better part of two years. Can't necessarily count on him. Dwayne Brown, who is getting closer and closer to 40 years old and is coming off an injury because he just had to have his shoulder surgery. That's what I meant when I said he was playing hurt. His shoulder has now been fixed. Max Mitchell, who missed significant time last year with a medical injury, thought to be blood clots. So you don't know what you're getting from any of these guys. Plus, Mitchell was a rookie last year, played a couple of games, looked okay, but we don't really know the level of play the Jets are going to get. And then, of course, you have Elijah Vera Tucker, who could play guard or tackle, better at guard, could play tackle if they need him to, but he's also coming off an injury. 
So you have to assume, and we'll get into the offensive linemen who worked out and got measured today, that the Jets, even with the news of Dwayne Brown coming back, are going to have to do something on the offensive line. Joe Douglas said it well last year when he was asked about the possibility of picking Ikemakwanu despite the fact that he had on paper two starting tackles. Of course, both of those guys later ended up getting hurt. George Fant and Mekhi Becton, he said, today's luxury is tomorrow's necessity. And I can't think of a spot where that's more true than the offensive line. So George, on the one hand, good news because the Jets get back an experienced veteran on the offensive line. On the other hand, I don't think this necessarily mitigates their need to have to do something at the tackle spot. I remember, you know, on Tuesday at the Combine, or Wednesday at the Combine, Chris Bauer was talking about the offensive line trouble with the Colts, what they want to do. The word he kept bringing up was competition. I think that's one of the things the Colts got themselves into trouble with last year. Didn't bring in enough competition. Then when you start having the inevitable injuries, the inevitable situations that crop up, you know, if you go through the entire year with just five offensive linemen, you're living a blessed life. And I think the, the smart teams understand that. You're trying to get as much depth there as you can. I think every team in the league, honestly, should still be looking for linemen. I think that's something that should never stop. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. On NFL Network, Daniel Jeremiah and Ian Rappaport were talking about the quarterback situation. And there's another entrant into this that we weren't necessarily expecting, and we'll talk about him in a second, and that is Lamar Jackson. But first, essentially what Rappaport and Jeremiah said is a more conclusive version of the whispers that we've heard throughout the week, and it's this. The only team that's expected to be in on Aaron Rodgers is the Jets, because if you look around at the AFC, the only other two teams that people thought were going to be in were the Titans and the Raiders. They are not going to be involved in trying to get Aaron Rodgers. You look around at the rest of the AFC – And it doesn't appear like there's anybody likely to jump in. Now, there is always the possibility of a mystery team. Let's say the Miami Dolphins are spooked about Tua Tugabaya's health. They look at Aaron Rodgers and think for a year or two, they've got Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, grab Aaron Rodgers and try to make a run at it. Maybe something like that happens out of the blue. But what Jeremiah and Rappaport seem to indicate is that Rodgers is going to be given a choice that will more or less be play for the Jets or retire because the Packers don't want to trade Rodgers in the NFC. And the only team in the AFC that seems to be interested is the Jets. Now, where this goes from here is Derek Carr. It sounds like, based on what Rappaport and Jeremiah were saying, the Jets love Carr and Rodgers and would be happy with either one. They would prefer Rodgers. He's their 1A. Carr is their 1B. And what's happening now is the Jets are hoping that Rodgers will make a decision in short order then they can decide what they want to do because 
If Rodgers says, sure, trade me to the Jets, they can work out a deal. Rodgers goes to the Jets. In that case, Carr probably goes to the Saints. If Rodgers decides he doesn't want to play for the Jets, wants to retire, whatever other option he thinks there is for him, then the Jets would pivot to going hard after Derek Carr. And Derek Carr is most likely going to decide between the Saints and the Jets if Rodgers isn't in the equation. If Rodgers is in the equation, the Saints may wind up with Derek Carr just because, much like Rodgers, it doesn't seem like there's as robust a market. The Panthers have dipped their toe in that water, but it seems like that was more just feeling it out than actually being serious. So the Saints are ready to do something now. The Jets would be ready to do something if Rodgers is not in play, and we wait to see what Aaron Rodgers does. The fear here from everybody involved is that Aaron Rodgers continues to string this out, and then there's no clarity, at which point Carr would have to decide whether he wants to sign before free agency, even if Rodgers doesn't make a decision first, and the Jets would have to decide whether they'd like to try and make a deal with Carr irrespective of what Rodgers does, or wait around and see if Rodgers makes the decision that he wants to play for the Jets and get traded from the Packers. So it's a little bit of a risk there if it comes down to that. A lot of people believe, though, that there will be clarity sometime this week, and we'll find out what Rodgers wants to do, and everything will fall into place after that. So, George, that seems to be where we're at. We've been hearing whispers leading up to this, but it appears basically the Jets' first choice is Aaron Rodgers. They want to see what he does before they go and try and make a concrete offer car. Carr's waiting around to see what his market's going to be between the Jets and the New Orleans Saints. They're all hoping that Aaron Rodgers doesn't drag this out, but he very well could. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about it. And Rodgers is saying he's going to try to make a decision quickly. He's going to try to do it before the start of free agency. That would mean most likely this week. I mean, where we're at now on the calendar, uh, you know, free agency's next week, so time is running out. Uh, but I do think in the Carr situation, it looks like New Orleans trying to push this a little bit. You know, they're making it very clear they want him. They're ready to make the move now. I just don't think it's in Carr's best interest to jump at that just yet. If I was him, I'd be more interested in joining the Jets. I mean, if, if I'm sitting there at Derek Carr's shoes, I'm willing to play this out. I know the Saints probably don't have a lot of other options either. They're probably, you know, waiting to hear from me. I would prefer to go to the Jets, and I just wait for this whole, you know, these dominoes to fall. Uh, and then I think once those fall into place, I think that's when you'll start to see some real movement this offseason with personnel elsewhere across the league. It's also in Carr's best interest to make sure that there are as many bidders as possible. Whether he prefers the Jets or Saints or Panthers or any other team, he wants as many teams bidding for him as he can get to up his leverage and make his price higher. So for him, he'd like to see exactly who's in this before he commits because if it's going to be the Jets and the Saints, he can play the two against each other. If the Jets decide on Aaron Rodgers, then it's just the Saints, and it's a lot tougher for his agent to get him the best deal possible. Speaking of best deals possible, how about this from Jeremy Fowler over at ESPN? He says that some around the league believe the Ravens are strongly considering using the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar Jackson, which would allow teams to offer him a contract that Baltimore could either match or decline and take two first-round picks instead. The interesting part of this is, George, the non-exclusive tag is $32 million as opposed to the $45 million exclusive tag. The difference, of course, is that under the exclusive tag, only the Ravens could sign Lamar Jackson. Under the non-exclusive, it would be cheaper, but some other team could swoop in and sign him. The Ravens would just have the right to match. But think about this. 
And this is why the Ravens may very well do the non-exclusive tag. If some other team signs Lamar Jackson, then the Ravens can look at it and say, hey, you guys did our dirty work. We don't even have to negotiate. There's the price. We can decide, is this what we're comfortable paying Lamar Jackson? Or would we rather have two first round picks as opposed to having to tag them, drag it out, get into something messy, and then maybe everything falls apart and it gets to a situation like Deshaun Watson where it's completely unfixable and then they're not entirely sure where it goes. In this case, some other team could do the dirty work, negotiate a deal, set the market, and then the Ravens can just say, sure, no problem, matched. And if it gets to a point where they're just not comfortable, where it's so high that they can't match it, then the worst case is they get two first-round picks, which it's a gamble because I would assume you would get more than that if you traded Lamar Jackson. But if you're looking to keep him, this might be better because it saves you the hassle of trying to negotiate against yourself potentially. So if the Ravens do this, it's a little bit of a risky move, but if they do want to keep Jackson, unless they're afraid that some team like Carolina is going to give them $500 million, let him go out there, negotiate a deal. If someone else signs him, then fine. You just match it, and that's it. Yeah, no, I think it's it's literally letting him test the market, but doing it uh, with still having control. Because like you said, whatever uh-huh. deal he comes back with, you can match. So it's, it's a really good deal, I think, from the team standpoint. If you don't like the number, you move on. You get two first-round picks. Yes, you probably could get a higher price if you just put him on the trade market. But this way, you've got some finality to the whole thing. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot from the Ravens' standpoint to like about this. And honestly, there's a lot from Lamar Jackson's standpoint to like about this because he's going to get the best possible deal. He's going to be able to find out who will offer me the most money. You know, he, he gets a lot of finality here, too. Uh, I've heard the Falcons would be very interested. They're, they're kind of the first name popping up there. But Carolina is the intriguing party here. They've got some cap problems. But we all know you can make that work, right? The NFL salary cap is the fakest thing uh, in the world, really, when it, when it comes to things like this. They can move numbers around. They can cut guys. They can get there if they really want to. And I think they'd be one to watch because especially, I mean, if you're sitting there in Carolina's shoes right now, we know David Tepper wants to make a huge splash. We know he's got an infinite amount of money at his disposal. The Saints, there's a chance they're going to bring in Derek Carr. We'll see how that plays out. Do you really want, if you're in Carolina's shoes, to watch the rest of the division add potentially Derek Carr and Lamar Jackson, and you're sitting there empty-handed again, do you want to do whatever it takes, dip into those deep pockets, and bring Lamar Jackson on board? I think Carolina's going to be a real player before this is said and done. More quarterback whispers, George. According to Jeremy Fowler, in addition to what we just discussed with Lamar Jackson, another name that's been popping up as the subject of trade rumors is Mac Jones. Mac Jones' old offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, would apparently like to grab him from the Patriots for the Raiders. However, it seems unlikely that New England would consider making such a move. Jones heading into year number three, still in his rookie deal. Jones was pretty good his rookie year. He offered Patriots fans hope that he wasn't going to be a superstar, but he could be a quality starter going forward. This past year with Matt Patricia and all that completely fell apart. And McDaniels with the Raiders, they decided to cut ties with Derek Carr. They're sitting at number seven in the draft. Maybe that's not high enough to get one of the quarterbacks that they really want. McDaniels knows that he's had success with Mac Jones in the past. Mac Jones still a young quarterback. Get him on a rookie deal. Bring him in there. Maximize what he can do. 
build out that roster around him. And then now that seventh pick and the other assets can be used to put pieces in place to help Mac Jones succeed pieces that he didn't have in new England. I don't think the Patriots are going to do this, but if they do trade Mac Jones, the Raiders would make a ton of sense for all of those reasons. And I think Josh McDaniels would love to have Mac Jones back. Just don't think that Bill Belichick's ready to let that happen. No, I'm not sure what plan B would be in new England. If you trade Mac Jones, you know, you still got to put somebody under center next year, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe a reunion with him. I know, we all know how much Bill Belichick thinks about him. Maybe that's a possibility, uh, but it, it seems like there's too many moving pieces there. Certainly, I can see the Raiders' interest there. I can see the Raiders being in the Jimmy Garoppolo sweepstakes. Uh, you know, once we get into free agency here in the next week or so, uh, just because again those New England ties. But I, I think it's a dangerous game in the NFL to trade a young quarterback. I mean, so hard to find those guys, even the guys that you can just win with. Forget about Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, the guys that can take you to a Super Bowl, the guys that can just get you to the playoffs. It's such a difficult thing to, to find. If you've got one of those guys, you really need to do everything you can to, to hold on to them. The only other thing you could say, George, is maybe the Patriots like Bailey Zappi. There has been some talk that they don't see much of a difference between Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones. If that's the case, then maybe you would go ahead and trade Mac Jones. But if they don't have a logical replacement, and if they don't feel that Bailey Zappi is right on the level with Mac Jones, then it really would not make any sense. You want to talk about superstars moving, though? We discussed Lamar Jackson. How about Jalen Ramsey? It looks like the Rams are primed to deal him. A lot of interest, some buzz at the Combine that plenty of teams are going to be in on him. He could very well get moved sometime this week before free agency begins. He's due to make a significant amount of money. He's not quite the player that he was even a year or two ago, but he's still a good cornerback. And if you're a team that's ready to win now, as opposed to the Rams, who are more or less in teardown mode, then Jalen Ramsey might make some sense for you. Yeah, what's interesting there, one of the teams that's cropped up is Detroit. And uh, it's just been kind of ironic, you know, two years after the Matthew Stafford deal, him going the other way, see Jalen Ramsey coming back uh, and joining the Lions. That would be a really interesting full circle kind of you know situation there without market. Uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of teams in on Jalen Ramsey. Everybody needs more corners, just like everybody needs more linemen. Uh, I I would imagine that market's going to be robust. I would think the Rams are going to be able to pick and choose here uh, once they finally do officially put him out there and, and find out what those offers are. Peter Skronsky, the offensive lineman from Northwestern, one of the best tackles in the country. Here were his measurables, and I want to talk about some more of these. Daniel Jeremiah posted some really good comparisons of current prospects to past prospects, and the one that Jeremiah posted with Peter Skronsky is Elijah Vera Tucker, which makes sense when you consider their quality of play and their versatility, but also it makes sense when you consider this. Skronsky, 6'4", 313, 10-inch hands, 32 and a quarter inch arms, 79 and a half inch wingspan. Now, 32 and a quarter inch arms indicates that Skronsky is probably going to be viewed by most teams as somebody that could be a good tackle, but an outstanding guard, which is what the thought was with Elijah Bear Tucker, because 32 and a quarter inch arms, which is right around what Bear Tucker's arms were, are not considered elite for a tackle, but for a guard, it's perfectly fine. So you wonder now, considering what Peter Skronsky said Yesterday, when addressing the press, that team's looking at him to work out as a tackle and guard and asking about his versatility. 
if a bunch of teams are going to see him as an NFL guard as opposed to an NFL tackle. And if that's the case, does he drop a little bit in the draft? Because a lot of people thought that he was going to go for sure somewhere between 5 and 10. Maybe he slips a little bit. Got to wonder if that puts him in the Jets' wheelhouse with them sitting there at number 13. And, of course, you also have to wonder if the Jets were sitting there at 13, would they view Skronsky as a guard or a tackle? These kinds of things are fascinating. People have been talking about suspecting that Skronsky didn't have the arm length to be a, quote, elite tackle, same way that they had speculated about Elijah Veritak before the Combine. And this is what the Combine is really for, George. It's for either confirming your priors or knocking them down a peg. And I think this confirmed a lot of people's priors, and that's why they were asking him even before he measured in about guard and tackle. Yeah, you've seen him really this whole process kind of slide. When when the season ended, it was sort of Skronky's the number one tackle. That was a lot of the talk. Uh, Paris Johnson's kind of passed him up. You've got some other guys who've really gotten a lot more buzz uh, since the season ended, you know, coming into the combine. And I think this probably driving a lot of that. That arm length is, is a real thing. Uh, I know the Colts have two tackles under that. You saw how much they struggled last year on the offensive line. I think league, a lot around the league will probably point to that as part of the reason. Uh, if, if he is viewed as a guard without that tackle element, or at least where it's not ideal, there's no doubt he'll drop. Uh, how far? You know, who knows? Quentin Nelson went number six overall. That's pretty, pretty rare. Uh, you would think he would fall out of the top 10 at the very least. Maybe out top 20. It just depends on, you know, what people are looking for. But there's no doubt that measurement today, not a good thing for Peter Skaronsky. I thought this was interesting, George. I just brought this up, but I want to talk about the specific examples. Daniel Jeremiah posted a bunch of comparisons measurable-wise for the prospects that we saw in the offensive line today and some of the guys that have been drafted in the last few years. I'm going to go through a few of them. Osiris Torrance, the outstanding guard out of the University of Florida, a guy that I think the Jets should be very interested in. I think he's one of the top interior offensive linemen in this draft. And if the Jets drafted him, it would allow them the potential to move Elijah Vera Tucker to tackle and let him play there like he did a little bit last year. Here's Osiris Torrance's measurables. 6'5 and 3'8", 330 pounds, 33 and 78 inch arms. That compares to a guy who was drafted in 2010, 6'5". 1 8, 331 pounds, 34 and 3 quarter inch arms. Who is that player? Mike Upati, who of course was an excellent guard for the San Francisco 49ers. We already talked about Elijah Vera Tucker and Peter Skronsky, but just to reiterate, Skronsky was 313, Vera Tucker 308, Skronsky 6'4, Vera Tucker 6'4 and a half. Arm length, Vera Tucker 32 and 1 8 inches, Skronsky 32 and a quarter inches. Broderick Jones, the outstanding offensive tackle out of the University of Georgia, 6'5 and 3'8, 311 pounds, 34 and 3 quarter inch arms. He compares to another gentleman who was actually drafted last year, 6'4, 310, 34 inch arms. Who am I talking about? Ekim Aquanib. So it's really funny how these athletic profiles match up. And believe it or not, scouts and coaches and front office guys look at this and they try to create data patterns and measurable patterns. And so here's another one, John Michael Schmitz, the center from Minnesota, who we've talked about a lot. Schmitz, of course, not only can play center, but both guard spots, that versatility will help him. Six, three and a half inches, 301 pounds, 32 and five eighths arms. He compares to another gentleman who was drafted in 2021 at the center position, 
who is six four and a quarter, three oh two, thirty-two and one quarter inch arms. Who is that? Pro Bowl center Creed Humphrey of the Kansas City Chiefs. Here's another one. Paris Johnson Jr., the tackle from Ohio State. Some believe he's the best tackle in this draft. Six six and three eighths, three hundred and thirteen pounds, thirty-six and one eighth inch arms. He compares to somebody that was drafted in that really strong 2020 tackle class. Six five and an eighth, three hundred and fifteen pounds. 36 and one eighth inch arms. That is Giants tackle Andrew Thomas. And here's one with running backs. I thought this was a particularly interesting comparison. And George, knowing the team you cover, I think you will too. First of all, I should say Bijan Robinson did very well at the combine, ran a 4-4-40. He maintains his status as not only the top running back in the draft, but a guy who could very well go in the top half of the draft. Robinson, 5'11", 215. Nine and three quarter inch hands, 31 and one eighth arms. He compares to somebody who was picked quite a bit ago. And George, somebody who I said you're very familiar with. Six foot, 216, eight and seven eighth inch hands, 30 inch arm length, 4.38 40 yard dash. Who is that? Legendary Indianapolis Colts running back, Edron James. So, George, this doesn't necessarily mean that all these players match up with the guys that they're compared to. It doesn't mean they're going to be as good. They could even be better. Who knows? What this does mean is these teams take these athletic profiles seriously. They try to create a pattern. And that's what you're seeing here with Daniel Jeremiah. He's trying to show you that as a guy who was a scout for as long as he was and somebody who was in a front office, who was around these coaches, he's trying to give you a window into their process and the way that they think when it comes to these guys. I think Robinson in particular. I mean, I had somebody tell me this week, he is the most freakish running back they've seen in a decade, at least, come out of this, you know, into this draft class. So, um, you know, him physically comparing so much to Edge, and then you see the measurables that he put up out there on the field today. He, he's got star written all over him. And it'll be interesting because we know, you know, running backs devalued. There's no question about that. But is he so good? I mean, is he a guy who's going to push that and get into that top half of the draft? I think it's a real possibility. It's going to be a real fun one to watch wherever he lands. George Bremer, our friend who covers the Colts for CNHI Sports and the Herald Bulletin in Anderson, Indiana. He's been our man on the scene at the Combine this week. Wasn't there today because there was no more media availability, but still news going on around the league and at the Combine. So I'm glad that he could come on. As I said, you guys had some questions and we're going to get to those on tomorrow's show. George will be back. A lot of George this week, which is a good thing. I'm always happy when I have excuses to do podcasts with George. So, George, thanks so much for coming on. We'll talk again tomorrow and answer some questions. In the meantime, for everybody that wants to check out your work, how can they do that and how can they follow you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. On Twitter, I'm at GM Bremer. Go to YouTube, catch the pod, the Blue Horseshoe pod, and uh, all my work is available at HaroldBolton.com. Make sure you check out everything George is doing at HaroldBolton.com and on the Blue Horseshoe podcast. Be sure to follow him on Twitter as well and check out everything we've got at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. We've got some awesome All-22 breakdowns up there right now, so go ahead, watch those videos, subscribe if you haven't already, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. Visit our store, tpublic.com, it's teepublic.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams, Bless You, Thank You shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, caps, mugs, hoodies, it's all there, tpublic.com, that's teepublic.com, and be sure to give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. It doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you can go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. 
And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com.